Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, we are continuing in this series that we are calling The Gospel According to Moses, in which we're looking at this Exodus story, this Old Testament story, and seeing how it really points us to Jesus and helps us to understand his story better. And uh, just to kind of recap, the reason uh, we decided to do this book was because uh, several years ago, I heard a pastor that I very much admire uh, do a series through the book of Exodus, and I was just like, that was so good. I just... I have to find a way to do that. And we thought that 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 would be a good theme for our midweek services because the last week of Jesus' life takes place during the Passover, one of the central events in the Exodus story. And so that's the reason why we're doing it during Lent. And so as we uh, continue to look at this story together, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you are indeed the Lord of salvation. And Lord, that you come to us. You desire to give that salvation to us, to speak with us, to teach us. And so tonight, Lord, as we once more come before your word, we pray that you would give us open minds to understand, open hearts to receive the message that you have And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So tonight we are going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3, that passage that was just read a few moments ago. So if you want to have uh, your Bibles open to Exodus 3, that would be great. You can also grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you. Um, And by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take that pew Bible. Let that be Trinity's gift to you because we want you studying Scripture with us. And so if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, consider that our gift to you tonight. Uh, Take it home. Continue to read through the Exodus story throughout Lent with us. But we're looking at Exodus uh, chapter 3, and to kind of help us get into the text uh, for just a minute, I I wanted to uh, talk about um, something that I often hear people say, Uh, especially people who are kind of skeptical about whether or not we can even have a relationship with God, maybe people who are a little bit... maybe more standoffish to whether or not uh, we should even, uh, per- whether or not God maybe even exists. But it's, it's also something that I've heard from Christians from time to time. And that is, you know, if God is real, then why doesn't he give me a sign? You know, why doesn't he just reveal himself to me? I mean, we look at Exodus chapter 3, this moment where Moses, where God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. And I've heard lots of people say, both non-Christians and Christians, well, I wish God would speak uh, in a burning bush to me. I mean, if God was really there and he really wanted to reveal his will for my life, why doesn't he just do what he did for Moses? Why, why don't I have some kind of spiritual encounter the way Moses did? And so tonight, I want to talk a little bit about spiritual encounters. I want to use this, this passage, this story of the burning bush, to learn a couple things about spiritual encounters because what I believe is that actually we have spiritual encounters all the time. And this passage is a wonderful place for seeing the ways in which God often meets with us or desires to meet with us, and yet we often miss it. And specifically, uh, tonight we're going to see kind of four things about spiritual encounters. The first is we're going to learn where do spiritual encounters happen. Secondly, uh, what are they? What are spiritual encounters? Thirdly, what makes them possible? And then fourth, how do we know that we've even had one? So where do spiritual encounters usually happen? What are they? What makes them possible? And how do we know that we've even had one? 
That's really the four things we're going to talk about as we look at Exodus 3. And so let's uh, start by addressing kind of that first question. Where do spiritual encounters happen? And in order to see that, we need to set the scene for a moment. Exodus chapter 3 begins with these words. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I want to pause right there because something that's kind of interesting about this and that we have to remember, especially from last week, is that this is a very odd place for a guy like Moses to be. Consider his background for just a moment. He was not born a Midianite. He was born a Hebrew. He wasn't born in the wilderness by Horeb. He was born in Egypt. And he certainly wasn't raised among shepherds. He was raised in the palace of a king, the adopted son of the king's daughter. Raised in the halls of power, educated in the manner of the Egyptians, This is an upper-class guy, a guy who would have been learned in the philosophies of his day, who would have been taught economics and warfare, a man who was literate, a man who was cultured, a man who should have been back in Egypt, serving some sort of role in the government, and yet we find him here many years later as a shepherd among a people who are not his own. In fact, if you are to believe the timeline, at least that we get in the book of Acts about Moses' life, is that he's been there about 40 years and is by now a pretty old man. And this is important to know. It's important to set this scene for just a minute because it's right here that we learn the first thing about spiritual encounters, namely where they happen. Because where they often happen is in the detours of life. One of the things I find interesting is it says that uh, there the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, well, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. See, first and foremost, Moses is on a macro detour, okay? He's not where he should be. He's not in Egypt. He's not in the halls of power. He is not in the home that he once knew. He's on a macro detour. He's at this point in his life where the the plan that he had been raised with, the thing that he always thought he would be doing, has not come to fruition. He's on a macro detour, but we see that he's also kind of on a micro detour, right? He's here attending these sheep, and suddenly something catches his eye. He sees a bush that's burning. Now, at first glance, that would be nothing, no big deal kind of in the wilderness, okay? When you're in a dry place in the heat of the day, it wouldn't be all that strange to see a bush suddenly catch fire in the dry heat of the sun, okay? Especially if there's a spark. But Moses pauses long enough to notice something else about this bush, that though it's on fire, it's not being consumed. And so Moses says, I'm going to take a closer look. And so he takes a micro detour. See, the first thing that we have to realize about spiritual encounters is that they often happen in the detours of life. They often happen when things actually aren't going according to our plans, See, everybody has plans. We all have certain uh, ways that we've kind of laid out what's supposed to happen next in our lives. It begins when we're very young, right, with that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
And yet many of us know that how we answer that question not only changes, but sometimes even when we stick with our answer, that doesn't always happen. I mean, honestly, if I were to go by what I said I wanted to be when I grew up, I would be Indiana Jones, but I'm not, okay? I'm not like some sort of adventure-seeking archaeologist, bummer. But even if I were to go by what I said I wanted to be when I got older, I'm still not following that plan at all. If you had told me as an 18-year-old or even as a 21-year-old or even as a 24-year-old that you're going to be a pastor, I would have laughed at you. This was not my plan. But the thing is, is I think that that's the way it is for many of us. Life doesn't always go according to plan. But the plans we set for ourselves often are interrupted, and yet what we see in this story is that spiritual encounters often happen in those places when life isn't going according to plan. In fact, the book of Proverbs says it really, really well. It says, the heart of man plans his way, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps. I used to joke with people that my life is kind of a big, long detour because I never thought that this is where I would end up. And yet, over the years, I've come to see, and especially as I've studied this text in particular, is that what I think is a detour is exactly where God often desires to meet us. That his plans are greater than our plans. And that it's usually in those moments when things aren't going according to plan that he most desires to say something to us. And yet that's the very reason we often miss our spiritual encounters. Because a detour happens, and how do we often handle those detours? Well, i got to find the quickest way around this thing, don't I? A detour comes up in life and we get frustrated. And we get angry. And we sometimes lean in even harder. And we try to, by sheer force of will, keep going. So a burning bush comes up in our lives and we say, nope, don't really have time for that. I got to go over to this thing over here. And we miss it. We often miss it. And so it's important first and foremost to slow down when detours show up. And to ask the question, what might God be trying to say here in this moment? But another way that you can kind of recognize a burning bush in your life Another way that you can recognize a spiritual encounter is in the fact that often these spiritual encounters, these burning bushes that God gives us, are paradigm-busting moments as well. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says that a burning bush in your life, if you really want to identify accurately a burning bush moment, he says a burning bush is a paradigm buster. It is something inexplicable that forces you to think outside the box. It challenges your assumptions about the world. And so let me give just kind of a couple of examples. One example, fairly common actually, uh, especially in this area, is when something doesn't go according to plan, even though you achieve it. Success is a great one. A lot of people think that if I have success in my career, if I'm getting a larger paycheck, if I'm at the top of the corporate ladder, then everything will be fine. I will be at peace. I will be fulfilled. All my needs will be met. And yet some of the loneliest people in our world are people at the top of the ladder. People who've achieved absolutely everything and still say it's not enough. It didn't deliver on the promises. That's a paradigm-busting moment because what it takes is an assumption that you had and suddenly subverts it. Or another one, a relationship. Ah, this is the one. And if we're together, all will be right in the world. Until you realize that that one is going to start to use your bathroom and sometimes doesn't clean the sink and uh, occasionally has opinions of their own. 
And sadly, some of the loneliest people that I know are married. It's a paradigm-busting moment in which God is trying to get your attention. Something seemingly ordinary that suddenly breaks the mold. These can be positive or negative moments, but the point is, is that they're burning bushes. They're these little detours, these paradigm-breaking encounters that beg us to pay attention. That's where God often wants to meet us as his people. And yet too often we are so busy and so fixated on where we think we're supposed to go that we miss them entirely. When people say, boy, I wish I had a burning bush. I wish God would just meet with me. The answer is he probably is already trying. The question is, have you slowed down long enough to actually hear him when he calls? See, this is the key to having spiritual encounters, is slowing down and taking stock. Taking some time apart. That when a burning bush shows up, you don't just rush past it. You say, you want to know what? I'm going to go over there and take a closer look at that thing. And that's the key for, for people who are seeking God, but that's also key for Christians having continual spiritual encounters. Is are you taking daily time apart? to attend to what the Lord might be saying to you. This is where spiritual encounters often happen, is in the detour or moments of life, those paradigm-breaking moments, those moments when God interrupts our plans because he has something to say. And so even when your life may seem like it's totally off track, that is a place in which God desires to encounter you to speak with you. That's the first thing about spiritual encounters. That's where they happen. It's often in the detours of life. And it's the second question, though, in this, and that is, what is a real spiritual encounter? When we say spiritual encounter, what, what do we mean? What are we talking about? And I think the, the clue for that is actually in how God shows up to Moses because it says that he shows up in flames of fire within a bush. Now, I don't know if you've had a chance to really think about this, but it's quite surprising to note the number of times throughout the scriptures where God shows up as fire. It certainly is here. It's also when the people of Israel finally are rescued from Egypt, it says that they come back to the mountain of God and God descends on the mountain in fire. Likewise, it says that he leads them through the wilderness in a pillar of fire and cloud. And later on in, in Isaiah, when Isaiah first meets the Lord, he encounters the Lord as he descends in smoke and fire into the temple. Over and over and over again, one of the ways that God loves to reveal himself and to reveal his character is as fire. Now think about that for a second. God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants. He could choose any number of ways to reveal himself, and yet one of his go-to self-expressions is as fire. Why? Why? Well, to help us understand that for a moment, I want to share something that uh, I learned recently. Blaise Pascal, the great uh, mathematician, when he died... Um, people found something interesting sewn into the lining of his coat. And when they actually uh, cut open the lining of his coat, they pulled out a little letter, and this is what the letter said. This is really quite fascinating. It says, The year of grace, 1654, from about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, fire. 
God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Sewn into the lining of his jacket. See, what they had discovered was a spiritual encounter in Pascal's life. See, Pascal, it's not that Pascal didn't believe God in God before. But there was an encounter that he had where he suddenly realized who God is. A moment when he was brought face to face with the very nature of God. This idea of fire is really a fascinating one because what, if you really think about fire, fire is one of the only things that if you touch it, it changes you. For example, if you try to mold clay, the clay is totally at the mercy of the one who touches it and shapes it and molds it, right? But with fire, when you touch fire, it changes you. That anything that actually passes through fire is either refined or burned up. The encounter that Pascal had suddenly realized it broke his paradigm of what he thought about the divine. Which is why I think it's so interesting what God tells Moses when Moses says, so who are you? Who are you? God says, I am who I am. And actually, this is an incredibly hard phrase to translate in the Hebrew because other ways you could translate it is, I will be who I will be. It's in this weird tense that very rarely shows up in that language. And scholars have debated back and forth about what, what is God actually saying? What does this really mean? And honestly, what, what I think God is saying here is he's saying, Moses, I am, I am the God who will reveal myself on my terms. You can't mold and shape me. You can't fit me into your box. I don't, I, don't, I don't easily fall into polite categories and systems according to your worldview. No, I will be who I will be. I will reveal myself in the way that I reveal myself. And through this encounter, you will be transformed. See, the reason I think God reveals himself in fire is because fire will either refine you or burn you, but it will never leave you unchanged. And the way you know you're having a spiritual encounter is when you suddenly realize you're in the presence of a God who is far bigger, far more awesome, far more terrifying, and yet far more beautiful than anything you would possibly create on your own. I think that's actually part of the reason why I like this image of fire. Because on the one hand, one of the most beautiful things, at least to me, is being able to sit around a campfire to light candles. Fire is beautiful. It gives light and warmth. It's one of these things that we need for survival, and yet fire unchecked, fire allowed to, ro- to, to ro- uh, roam free is destructive. It consumes everything. And when I think about that for a moment, isn't that an incredible description of who God is? That on the one hand, God is absolutely holy, consuming everything that is imperfect. Absolutely holy in the sense that he tolerates no evil, no sin, no darkness at all. He consumes it wholly and totally. And yet at the same time, he's absolutely loving. He's warm. He's beautiful. You desire to draw near to him. And you see, in our world, when, when people often think about God, they, they tend to settle for gods of their own making who fit one of those categories, but usually not the other. That a, a made-up God, an invented God, is either absolutely holy, 
very rigid and stern, all about the rules, and you kind of towing the line and making sure that your life is perfect and that you're measuring up. Or he's absolutely loving. He loves you absolutely totally. He doesn't care if your life is messed up. You can actually do what you want. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. He will always love you. Just do your own thing. And yet what we see here is this is a God that you don't invent. He will be who he will be. He is on the one hand absolutely holy, consuming everything that is dark, evil, wicked, burning it up as chaff, and yet at the same time, absolutely loving, welcoming imperfect people into his presence. God is the God who says, I will be who I will be. I am who I am. And in my presence, you will either be burned or you will be refined, but you will not be left unchanged. That's how you know you're having a spiritual encounter is when you suddenly are in the presence of a God who isn't all that comfortable and yet at the same time is absolutely awe-inspiring. One who on the one hand you feel absolute terror and being totally exposed and yet on the other hand are simultaneously comforted and welcomed in. The God of fire the one who consumes, the one who refines, but the one who also warms and provides. It's a beautiful description of who God is. It's an amazing self-revelation of his character, of his nature. It's one of the ways we know we're having a spiritual experience, a genuine spiritual experience. This is when we find ourselves in his presence. This is what Pascal needed to see. It's what we need to encounter as well. But it's in light of that that you have to ask kind of a third question, and that's what makes a spiritual encounter even possible? I mean, if God is indeed absolutely holy and absolutely loving, what makes us think that we would even be able to stand in his presence? What makes us think that we as human beings, imperfect and flawed that we are, could possibly even come to him? And yet here too, I think Exodus chapter 3 gives us some really amazing insight. Because one of the things that I just find incredible is if you read through Exodus chapter 3 and actually then you read through the rest of chapter 4, what you find is you have this God who reveals himself in fire, this God who's absolutely holy and yet also absolutely loving. And yet the whole time, what is Moses doing when he's talking to him? He's arguing with him. He's making excuses. He says, hey, I'm going to send you uh, back to Pharaoh. I want you to go. And he's just like, me? <laughs> what do you mean, me? Oh, what am I supposed to say? And he's just like, well, tell them that, they're, that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sent you. Yeah, but what if they don't believe that? What's your name? My name is I am who I am. He's just like, yeah, but what if Pharaoh doesn't believe me? I'll, I'll give you signs and wonders. You can do those. And he's just like, yeah, 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 but, but, but I can't talk all that good. And he's just like, oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll teach you what to say. And he's just like, no, 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 God, just pick someone else. Don't send me. And even in that moment when it actually says God anger then burned against Moses, God says, all right, fine, I'll send you with Aaron. How is it that Moses can stand there and argue with an absolutely holy God, a God whose anger can burn against him, and yet the God who is simultaneously patient with him and loves him? And to every fear and excuse that he throws out, suddenly give him this incredible gift of mercy and presence. What makes that even possible? Well, I think the clue actually comes in verse 2. It says, 
in this, it says, um, at Horeb, the mountain of God, it says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so he said, I'll go over and see this strange sight. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses said. He said, don't, don't come any closer, but take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. See, what makes Moses' encounter with the all-powerful God of the universe even possible is this little phrase, the angel of the Lord. Now, we may ask the question, we say, well, the angel of the Lord, what, what difference does that make? Aren't there lots of angels in the Bible? Yes, there are lots of angels in the Bible. But if this were just an angel, we would see something different happen. Because you see, when it's just any ordinary angel who shows up to people and they suddenly start to worship him or bow down to the angel, the angel says, don't do that. Stop worshiping me. Get up. And yet here, when Moses comes close, we hear this voice say, stop right where you are, for where you are standing is holy ground. Moses is commanded to worship. Because you see, the Hebrew word for angel simply means messenger. And this messenger of the Lord is the one who allows Moses to come in on holy ground, who doesn't, who doesn't tell him don't worship, but actually says you need to worship right here and right now. This messenger of the Lord is himself holy. And to truly understand who this angel of the Lord is, we need to look to another place in Scripture. To another place in Scripture, which happens a little over 1,500 years after this initial spiritual encounter between Moses and Yahweh. When in Jerusalem, a bunch of Pharisees got together to challenge an upstart rabbi. A rabbi who was doing and saying things that didn't fit the mold. A rabbi who seemed to be absolutely concerned with the total holiness of God and yet was incredibly loving. And they started to ask him questions. Where do you get this authority? How can you possibly preach these things? Who are you to tell us uh, what to do and what not to do? To which that upstart rabbi said the following, Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. The messenger of the Lord is none other than Jesus, the one who is the great I am, who serves as our intermediary and allows us to stand on holy ground, to speak with the God who is absolutely holy and yet not be consumed, to be able to stand before fire and not be burned, the one who would ultimately be our intermediary, the one who makes it possible for us to encounter the divine and to walk away transformed and not destroyed. When Jesus answered the Pharisees, what he was saying is he's saying, I have no beginning. There was never a time that I was not. And the reason that I can call you to believe in me is because I will be who I will be. I am who I am. Scripture tells us that no one has ever really seen God, but only the Son who makes him known. And in this moment, what Jesus is saying is when Moses looked at that bush, what he was seeing was he was seeing me. 
I am the one who makes this spiritual encounter possible. I am the reason you are welcomed into the presence of the divine. And until you understand that, you're never really going to fully grasp what makes a spiritual life even doable, much less possible. And yet what we love about Jesus is that he is the one who serves as that bridge and who allows us to have the spiritual encounters that we say we long for. There's one last thing, though, that we need to wrestle with in this text, and that's how do we know that we've had a genuine spiritual encounter and that it's not just some sort of emotional moment, some sort of emotional high? The answer is this. It's what Pharaoh actually tells Moses. He says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, the way you know you have a genuine spiritual encounter is because a spiritual encounter always leads to a call. It always leads to a calling in our lives. A spiritual encounter is never just for our benefit. It's so that we might be transformed and then be sent. Moses would then become the one who brings the message of the burning bush to the people of Israel. Moses is the one who would then come and bring the words of Yahweh, let my people go to Pharaoh. See, God encounters Moses for the sake of, yes, changing Moses, but ultimately through Moses to bring his purposes and his plans, ultimately his salvation to those who have yet to hear. And a truly genuine spiritual encounter always draws us into the bigger plans of God. That while, yes, it's a meeting with us, it never stays with us. Its purpose is that we might be sent back, that we might be sent forward, that we might go with a message of salvation. Yes, God certainly desires to meet with us, but not just us. His desire is that through us, others would know, others would meet him, others would encounter him. God says, I will be with you. I will, when we say, I don't have the words to speak, I don't talk good, he's like, I will be with your mouth and give you the words to say. It's like, what if I I don't really know you? I will reveal myself to you as the great I am. I'm not strong enough. I, I don't know if I can do this. I will provide signs and wonders. But most importantly, the thing that I love is at least three times God tells Moses, and I will be with you. I will be with you. I will go with you. Though I send you, I go with you as well. Transformation always leads to sending. The encounter always leads to a call. And the question for us tonight is, what does it mean to not only have that spiritual encounter, but to take that encounter with us? Part of the Lenten season is a time to slow down and pause, to attend to what the Lord is saying. But it is not a time that is divorced from the mission. It is a time in which we encounter God so that we might be sent by God into the world. That's what a true and spiritual encounter is all about. It's ultimately recognizing that we've encountered God through Jesus and we are now sent by that same God, the great I am, to bring that good news to others. 
And so tonight, as we think about that, as we consider that, I think it's only right that we pray. But we pray that we might be sent. And so I invite you to please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord God, we give you thanks that although you are holy, you are also loving. That although you are perfect, you also welcome us imperfect people that we are in. That you do this all through Jesus, the one who is the great I am. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight as we bathe in that message, we would also be sent with that message, that you would send us to the places that need to hear this good news. And so, Lord, we do pray that, yes, we would attend, that in the detours of life we would have ears to hear what you would say, but that, Lord, through those moments, it wouldn't just be for our benefit, but it would be for the benefit of all those to whom you send us. And so we ask, Lord, that as you promised to Moses, I will be with you, that you would go with us. It's in your name that we pray, Yahweh, the great I am, that we say, Amen.